Hey Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 372. Yeah. be keeping safe and well and that we've managed to do something doctor who doctor who related related welcome to 372 it's good to have you here we have got no news to go through really one little thing that's been doing the rounds which looks very cool and then we're on to our review of the classic story the fourth doctor story the tom baker story the fourth doctor and sarah jane story <laughs> it's the seeds of doom doom not the seeds of death. No. No. It is easy to mix them up. I never yeah. know which one's which. Yeah. When you're doing the seeds of death. <laughs> well, we've done that one. No, I mean doom. We have done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're doing it soon. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> if you are a long-time listener, welcome back. One of the old grizzled ancients. Love you guys. If you're a newcomer, if this is the first time you've listened to the Big Blue Box podcast, then welcome aboard. It's all good. It's great to have you here. We uh, had a few tweets over last week. Just discovered your podcast. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. It's always cool when you have someone get in contact and say uh, that they enjoy the show because we do nothing but just talk Doctor Who crap for <laughs> roughly an hour every week. So if you find some enjoyment in that and uh, and a bit of an escape, then that's all good. So um, yeah, that makes us happy. Thank you. Indeed. Indeedy. What have you been up to, bud? Actually, we've both been up to something, haven't we? We've both done something mm -hmm. similar for the first time in a decade, it feels like. we. Uh, I liked your tweet as well. It was a very good way of describing it. You're like, every week we uh, we get together over uh, over the internet. But this week, we were together in person. We had a little meet-up, didn't we? It was cool. We did. We had a little London meet-up. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, it is good. Because, I mean, when was the last time we saw each other? It was. Oh, we were trying to remember... I think it was the Wurzel Gummidge BFI event. Ah, yes, of course it was. it was. Yeah, that was what six, seven months ago, though, right? Oh, at at least. least, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, no, it's probably more than that actually, because I've the the Blu-ray's taken forever to get out, so it must be even longer. But anyway, it's been a while, um, and it is strange because I was saying like we talk to each other every single week, but we hardly ever actually get to to meet up because um, you know we live at sort of. Not opposite ends of the country, but we're not exactly close, are we? But um, you were down in the old town of Londinia in London yeah, with yeah. a works thing. And um, I'm not too far from London. So, yes, I drifted in. And, uh, yeah, it's great to meet up, wasn't it? We did a little FP visit just to check on how that's doing and <laughs> see if the cabinet was still there. And, of course, it's long gone, the cabinet of woe. It used to have, <laughs> used to have three Doctor Who figures in it and a big cobweb. That's long gone. Yeah, that's gone. And it, there was another artifact that we were looking for as well wasn't there that wasn't oh yeah the mug <laughs> the mug yeah so adam filled me in on this um uh, a little while ago when we first mentioned about should we meet up and, and do an fp run mm. that there was um the the old mugs that they used to do you can still find them in certain shops and on ebay and stuff they're like the little ceramic uh, molds of doctor's heads basically they look ghastly, but they were they were doing the rounds for a, <laughs> yeah. for a while. And you said that there was an eight Doctor one in there that was there for years, and they had drawn some glasses on it and a moustache and stuff like that. But alas, it's been smashed to oblivion. It seems <laughs> so. No more. But they did no replace more. it with a uh, 
with a cool little Batman uh, animated mug though, which obviously you can't replace Mister McGann and his uh, and his and his mocked drawn-on moustache and all that. But yeah, FP was um, it never changes that place really, does it? Although they've moved a few things around and the cabinet of woes no longer there and all that stuff, it's still got that same vibe like a lot of places mm-hmm. um after many many years this is like you know retail stuff i guess you would look into doing a bit of a refit i think it's called right where you just close the shop for a week and get the builders and the decorators in and just give it a fresh lick of paint and some new shelves and no 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 not fp not fp they're like no we're good we're actually good i mean i think some of their stores have had it done i think it's either the newcastle store or the Liverpool store, one of the two, mm. they did have a bit of a redo a couple of years back, which looks very good. But the London one, it's just got the same... Obviously, the McGann mug's not there, but everything else has got <laughs> the same, you know... The, the I don't know. The, the vibe is the same, dude. It's pretty cool. It is, actually. Yeah, I've not really thought about it. It hasn't changed at all uh, in, in years, has it? You just go in, it's just the white <laughs> the white shelving and all that. Um, sad, sad that the McGann mug's gone. Uh, it took me forever because I knew I'd got a picture from it back in years ago when I first noticed it. I had to go through all my photos to find that blimmin' picture. I was like, I will find it. I know I've still got a picture <laughs> of it somewhere. Uh, so it's back in 2018 I took a picture of that mug. Um, just while I remember as well, because we did also meet up with uh, our friends Adam and Moore, Morgan. Um, while we were walking away from FP, you and Ad were walking in front of us. Morgan was telling me that you can't, you're not actually supposed to drink from those mugs. I thought he was winding me up. I'm like, what do you mean? He said that they're, <laughs> what did he say? Lead lined or something. No, they're not, are they? Uh, not Jesus. lead lined. There's something lined. Right. And he said, he said, there is a warning on the box. They're, they're for, like for decoration. I'm like, I was thinking, is he winding me up? Hmm. And he said that, and he, I said, well, Mine are up in the loft. I said, I really wanted to get them down to take some photos to, to put on Facebook because we were talking about them on the podcast. I said, but I couldn't get to them. They're right at the back of the loft under a load of rubbish. I said, but I have got two that are unboxed downstairs actually in my kitchen. And um, he said, well, the worst one, the one you definitely mustn't drink from is the Fifth Doctor one. And I was like, well, that's the one I've got out that I actually drink from. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. so that explains a lot. I'm probably full of lead or whatever that is that's in them. Um, so, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for doing telling me, Morgan, because you've probably saved my life. Because um, <laughs> uh, I won't be drinking from it again. <laughs> but yeah. Hold on, but, Hold on a minute. Have you found it? Have you found it? Doctor all? Who. Ceramic head mug. Is he jeering me Safe up? Safe to drink. Let's see if the Goog can, can have, clarify Have a look on Goog. Um, I will at some point uh, dig them out because <clears throat> they are they they're, they're so bad that they're good if you know what I mean. I, I yeah. kind of felt I kind of <laughs> felt like uh, they need some pictures taken of them, especially the fourth doctor one with its big ceramic hat. Hmm, hmm. this is very strange. I'm gonna we're gonna have to hit Morgan up. I think he's we will. He's is he cheering me up? No, yeah. he was very serious about it, but. Yeah. Right. This is the official blurb where it concerns mm-hmm. the Matt Smith mug. <clears throat> but obviously oh, they're yeah. all the same, right? So, you'd assume. Displaying the 11th Doctor from the shoulders up with a large hole in the top of his head for <laughs> drinking your morning coffee and a handle to hold him by. This is a great item for any fan of the classic Doctor Who television show that wants to take their coffee straight out of the Doctor's noggin. <laughs> great so, blurb. So, I. I uh, Nothing I, about no little asterisks underneath saying no, do not drink whatever no. you do or do not use as a drinking vessel. 
Crazy. Well, we'll have to have a word with Morgan and see where he got that information from. Um, Hmm. (laughs) Because I don't know. I've never heard that before. There'll be people out there that have got these bugs suddenly spitting out their tea. What? Don't drink from it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. The official blurb, I'm on another website now. The official blurb, a lot of them, is take your coffee straight from the doctor's noggin. Oh, there you go. So, Morgs, we're going to have to give you a few slaps, I think, mate. I think he's he's winding us up. He's winding us up. That little... (laughs) <laughs> Tote rag. Um, Just quickly, anyway. dude. Quickly. Yeah, go on. The Wurzel Gummage event was on the 10th of April. That's when we last saw each other. April, there you go. So nearly a year, give or I take thought, a few months. Yeah. yeah, I guess it feels like forever ago, that. Yeah. Um, but FB, anyway, mate, go on. what did you think of the... Because um, obviously we know that the Doctory section has shrunk. I mean, back in the glory days when it used to have a whole wall to itself, we, we know it's shrunk. Um, but they've got it's a, a few anniversary. Yeah, <laughs> they got they got a few uh, anniversary items drifting in. It seems like FP are trying <laughs> to put something out there. They've got these exclusive T-shirts that they're doing for the 60th, and they're doing like a lead-up, aren't they, to the to the anniversary? So every sort of month they're releasing like first Doctor, second Doctor, third Doctor, 60th merch, fourth Doctor, and you know so on. But um, yeah, what did you think? Still a little short on the ground, wasn't it? I mean, it was a couple of badges. Yeah, uh, was, a couple it? of t-shirts it was a bit the Doctor Who but I mean everything else Star Wars has still got a good good big section um, Marvel's got half the side of the shop um, uh, yeah so be yeah, Doctor Who looking a bit thin on the ground true yeah I mean it's in one way you have to say fair play to, for, to Forbidden Planet for at least trying to um, at least trying to get some kind of Who merch out there because mm. they're clearly getting nothing in the way of Anything from the BBC or from Bad Wolf or, or anything like that. So there's nothing official coming in for them to sell. So they're making their own stuff. So, um, yeah, so they're putting together their own custom T-shirts and sweatshirts and prints and badges and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's cool, but it's just a little bit, um, it's all blink and you miss it. It's sort of there's no, uh, as is the case, as we mentioned, with that London store, um, unless it's Star Wars or something to do with Marvel, there's no big signage for Doctor Who or anything. I mean, I walked straight mm. past you, the bit around the other side, and I, I saw had to you. drag you back, didn't I? I yeah, was like, "Hang on, there's a, a badge here that you haven't seen." Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, fair play for actually producing some Who merch. That's all good, but you just need to let people know that it's there a little bit more clearly. Because I walked past a bunch of it that you were looking mm. at. So. But no, it's all it's all cool, um, and they don't seem to have much in there as well. I think you look on the the FP website; mm. they've created loads of stuff, and I think it was in the last two or three days they've just launched a new fourth Doctor range of yeah, it looks quite good actually. Yeah, yeah. loads of mugs, t shirts, and, and and all sorts. But um, and even some of the sixtieth merch that they've got on their website, only about a third of it is actually there on the rack in the shop. So mm. yeah, it's cool. It just needs a bit more, a little bit more. But I'm my guess is, dude that if this thing if this whole Hooniverse thing pans out like we're expecting it to mm. I reckon in the next two or three years there will be a big old chunk of merch hitting those kind of geek stores across across the planet which leads us on nicely to not a bit of news but something that we've seen uh, across the socials over the last day or two which is this um, this big art print this big mural that's appeared on the wall inside Wolf Studios in Cardiff so, Shooty popped on his Instagram. Yeah, the um, this uh, this wonderful looking um, mural. It's the um, who's the artist's name? It's um, Anthony Dry. 
Anthony Dry. You might recognise that name if you've mm. bought any kind of um, recent Target book in the next in the last uh, couple of years. And um, he also did a lot of the colour, full colour illustrations on the wall for the Doctor Who experience. So if you've been there oh, or you've right. bought any Target books in the last couple of years, you'll recognise his art style. This is black and white. It's like a mono, a mono print, but it's basically shooty as the Doctor, mm. um, still in the old. Um, uh, uh, in tenants clothes basically uh, leaning up against the door of the TARDIS and then on to the right of that um, it's got the words the home of the Hooniverse and the word Who is in the new style sort of lettering and logo and then it says Hooniverse so yeah it's um, it's kind of a cool thing because you can look at this in one of two ways can't you is it a case of Wolf Studios are just welcoming visitors into the building and it's just mm -hmm. the bulk of their work is Doctor Who and that's just the way that they've described it. Or do you read into it as in they are um, kind of got a bit of foresight and have had the okay to call it the Hooniverse because we can expect all of the spin-offs that have been rumoured that Russell has been sort of kind of leaning towards in certain interviews around expanding mm -hmm. the world of Doctor Who outside of just the main show so this is very very cool dude and i reckon that if this is the second route where the universe is going to become this big expanded universe of doctor who shows and media and stuff then going back to fp i think we will see a lot more who merch in stores especially now that disney have got the rights to stream it and they're pumping a load of money into it as well mm. yes so what do you reckon to this dude it looks wonderful right yeah, no, I loved I loved the pictures because it just seen you can just imagine Shooty walking into the studio and just seeing that for the first time and being like, oh wow, like this is real, you know, this is great. Mm -hmm. I do think it leads. To, I do think there might be more to it. I think in terms of I, I think Russell's got a lot of going on in that head. I think he's got a lot planned, um, and I think Hooniverse definitely fits into that with spin offs. So it, it just it started as a tiny rumor, and it just seems to be snowballing. And I just can see it happening. Um, and this kind of throws in another um, sort of hint that it, it could be true. And just quickly going back to merchandise, uh, merchandise side of things, mate. Um, I think that plays into it as well because I think Russell gets the bigger picture. You know, he, I think he really wants to put Doctor Who back in the mainstream and, and get it out there, and that includes merchandise. And I listened to a, a great podcast the other night. I couldn't switch it off actually. I went to bed and I was going to listen to about ten minutes of it. It's twelve o'clock at night, and I ended up listening to the whole thing. Um, and it was, uh, I think, it's called Doctor Who Corner to Corner uh, podcast, and they were talking to Al Dewar, who is. Um, involve the character options who produce the dot two figures they do all the b&m range and talking about why you know the figures have become very niche and hard to get these days and why the shops aren't full of them like they used to be and basically i mean i've always assumed this but never really heard it confirmed before but he said when chimnall took over it was like the door shut and that's exactly how he describes it he said we didn't get anything to use you know we, we were sort of didn't get any sort of tooling or promotions that, that we could use so we kind of had to everything was always after it was shown on screen it was like you know it was just what Chibnall's way of doing it he wanted to keep everything secret and he said with Russell coming back and I'm pretty sure this is almost exactly what he says on the podcast he says it was like the door reopened immediately he said we knew about the regeneration regeneration way before anyone else uh, we, we were given photos to work from to do the regeneration set he said it was like the trust that was given back to us 
with Russell coming back to do with our merchandise. He said it's just amazing, and he said we've got big things to come. Um, mate, that is exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah, you definitely. know, that Russ, it's like yeah. Russell has come back and uh, just that that um, what's the word? Not Anna, anarism. No, Al, what's that thing? The, just the thing of him saying about the door opening. What do you call that? The announcement. An analogy. Analogy. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I know it begins with a. Anana yeah, just, yeah, yeah, that. Of, 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 you can just see Russell opening that door again and saying, come on in, guys. Here's some promo pictures. This is what's going to be happening. You know, get your figures ready. I just love it um, that he's back. Just, as I said, just seems to get the bigger picture. So I think we're going to see a lot more merch. I think um, we're going to see Extended Universe. I'm excited to see what. There's rumours about Kate Stewart doing that. Maybe there's a unit spin off because Kate Stewart's back, isn't she? Um, hopefully, that's not a spoiler for anyone. I think that's been announced by the BBC, hasn't it? So it's, mm-hmm. it's not a Kate spoiler. Back, yeah. Yep. yeah, she's back. So that could play into a unit spin off. There's lots of speculation, but um, mm. all the speculation and rumour, mate, is sounding really positive and good, whether it be merchandise, spin offs, whatever. But uh, I loved that picture of Shooty going into the into the studio and I love that it's picture cool. on the yeah. wall which just yes it's just all looking good and it's all sounding good as well it is yeah and um just to to echo your thoughts really about Russell it's such a cool it's such a great time as well to get back into Doctor Who mm. so I know that a lot of our listeners have kind of drifted away it, it's I think we're quite fortunate on on our podcast because we cover lots of other stuff we weren't just a we're going to review the the most modern series and then we were done mm. and that sort of thing. So we always cover, you know, all the classic who that we're getting through and Torchwood and all the other stuff. So, but I know a lot of people have drifted away. So I think if now you're thinking, you know, should I get back into Doctor Who? Is is the upcoming stuff coming this year with, with David Tennant and Shooty following that? It absolutely is. I think Russell's just got such a great handle on how to manage this stuff from a really high level. And some of the interviews that he's been doing recently, dude, are so reassuring. There was um, there was that one story where it was a, it was a false news, it was a fake news thing where mm. somebody had started the rumor that because of the co-production with Disney, that Doctor Who had a, this upcoming stuff had a budget of ten million dollars, yeah, or ten million pounds. And um, obviously Russell was asked about that, and instead of doing a chibbers and just keeping silent about everything. He just jumped on and said, no, that's completely false. He's like, he said, if that was the budget, I'd be speaking to you from my base on the moon. <laughs> that's what he said. It was so cool. So he went on to yeah. say, that's absolutely not the budget. And I worry that misinformation like that creates false expectation. Mm. He says, nonetheless, we have a lovely, handsome budget and we are very happy with how we are proceeding with it. So that sounds good. So we're not talking like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones type of budgets here, but we are mm. talking like you know a decent a decent chunk and then he also went on to um he also went on to talk about um uh fans that were concerned that there was too much involvement from disney and oh, yeah, the american yeah. side of things and uh, again he went on to say absolutely not this is absolutely the same british show um for the most part that you've enjoyed up you know there's nothing's going to change in that he said people are worried naturally that um, American producers are having notes on things. He said, well, don't be worried. He says, Disney are giving excellent notes. And I'm also here to say that you haven't watched a drama on British television in 20 years that hasn't had American notes. He said, Mm. everything is pretty much a co-production between the British studios and some kind of American 
um, backer or producer or whatever it might be. He said, so this is all completely normal. He said, so don't worry. He said, I'm also want to give more reassurance and let you know that we're about to transmit the words Mavic Chen on television for the first time since 1966. So it is absolutely the same show. That's amazing. Yeah, it's great to hear. It's always the right words, isn't it? It's what Mm -hmm. you want to hear. Yeah, Mavic Chen obviously being the the guardian of the solar system from the story... uh, the Daleks' master plan back in the 60s. So um, he knows his onions. He knows what to do. <laughs> he does, mate. And I just love the fact that um, Russell just seems to be pulling all these threads that have just dwindled, like Doctor Who magazine and merchandise and spin-offs and all those things. He just somehow has, has like grabbed them and pulled them back in and uh, dusted them off and made them exciting again. I mean, Doctor Who magazine's selling well again for the first time in like ages. People are really invested in it because he's giving it content and exclusives and giving us little sort of... Um, bites of information to get our teeth in you know so it's it's just i just love how he's just come back and taken such good control of it you know it feels mm-hmm. so well managed um already at this point um yeah it's it's it's, it's, it's exciting times it's a good time like you said i think a lot of people are, are jumping back on board there is definitely a buzz about dot two again which is great to feel indeed yeah and when you have russell being a bit more open about things and sharing stuff yeah. It, there's a there's a, a really good saying that applies to this and it's called all ships rise together and that is when russell starts to share stuff and be more open and be more involved in the community and and all that sort of stuff that then opens the door to other things doing well like you mentioned with the doctor who magazine that then yeah. starts to do well and then we've just talked about merch that's going to hopefully pick up and that will start to do well and then the spin-offs and it just creates this whole thing about everybody that's involved with Doctor Who. Podcasts as well, content creators like you and I, mm-hmm. YouTubers that do podcast uh, content around Doctor Who, they all do more. You know, they do more content, so they do better because there's more stuff to talk about. Exactly, so yeah. when you have the Chibbers approach where it's like, no, 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 we, we won't discuss anything. We won't leak anything. We won't mention anything. And we'll do like two interviews a year. So that's all cool if you really want to, you know, play the whole the secrecy game and you're scared and fearful about the odd bit of um uh preview content you know being put out there that's all good but then you've got to deliver on the actual content so when you're not doing that sorry jody fans when you're not doing that that then creates a whole sort of little vacuum of of just stuff that exists in this tiny little space and everyone else is like well we have nothing to talk about so in between (laughs) seasons of doctor who or series of doctor who it's like, and like I said, fortunately for us, we've still got the back catalogue to dive through and, and do all that stuff. But for, mm. anyway, it's it's all good stuff moving forward. And I think that um, that the Wolf Studios guys putting that up on the wall, the home of the Hooniverse, um, just very quickly as well, that also says to me that there's some longevity in place as well. You're mm. not going to start putting murals up on the wall if this is just a six-month contract and then you're, you know, you're on to something else. This says to me that this is a long-term project to work on doctor who so it's a big thumbs up all round yeah it does make me think that because russell's just very much the right man for the job i feel but Mm -hmm. it like he's just talking about the longevity of it like you said a long lot there for the long haul that does always make me worry like when russell decides to go because let's face it right i mean we give chibbers a lot of stick um and uh, and that but for, for us, he wasn't the right man for the job, I think it's fair to say. But, you know, he did his best and he stepped in when probably no one else would. Um, 
but that makes me think what happens when Russell leaves because it is such a hard job in it Russell just gets it and he seems to get it from he seems to get the job that in hand from a lot of perspectives in terms of the fact he is a fan himself so he understands it he understands the show he uh, understands the marketing the merchandise he, he, he just is the right man for the job but we can't take him for granted because he isn't going to want to stick around forever. Uh, but who takes over? That's what I, I, there isn't anyone springs to mind. You know, I keep thinking like we just want him to stay for as long as possible, really. Um, but not. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure there will come a time when we'll be a bit like with Moffat, where we're like, we love you, Moffat, but it's time for you to hang up <laughs> your, your cap because you know yeah. it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. It, it, you know, but for now, yes. It's great he's back. Let's hope he doesn't go anywhere too soon. And mm. um, let's enjoy what we've got to come. Yeah. Yeah. And you wonder if some of this stuff that we're talking about was in the conversations and stuff when we <clears throat> assume, yeah. rightly or wrongly, that he was approached to come back to Doctor Who rather than him knocking on the door. Because let's face it, he's not looking for a job. <laughs> let's no. face it. So we assume um, that it was the Beeb that approached him. Or Disney, or combination of two, whatever. So I imagine that maybe this was part of his stipulation. Is like, yeah, I'll, I'll happily come back and, and manage Doctor Who, but we're not just going to do the same old new showrunner, new Doctor, few series, I'm out the door. You know, let's make Doctor Who like this massive global, you know, competitor with the big boys like Star Wars and mm. and uh, and Stranger Things and and all that stuff. So I imagine that was probably in his initial game plan i i hope it was because you'd hate to think that he just said yes because he was bored <laughs> someone <laughs> said oh we should do spin-offs he's like yeah whatever we'll do that so he you're right he's definitely the dude for the job and yeah maybe it's maybe it's um maybe it should be down to him to to have some say in whoever takes over mm. as well as just some executive somewhere at, at the beeb or whatever so yeah he's the man isn't he definitely he's the man he's the man <laughs> We've got trust in we said this from the beginning we have trust in rtd definitely yeah, definitely anyway enough uh gushing and love letters for rtd we need to get on to review don't we we do so we're traveling back through time to the classic years to the uh approximately approximately the 1970s so what we got this week dude Yes, I think 1975, wasn't it? Um, it's Yes, it's the Tom Baker. I know that because it's a great year. Uh, Tom Baker, classic, The Seeds of Doom. What you have done could result in the total destruction of all life on this planet. What is a crinoid? I suppose you would call it a galactic weave. It's as if he's turning into some sort of a hideous monster. I'm sending you on a little errand, Scorby. Where is the pod? Scorby! If we don't find that pod before it germinates, it'll be the end of everything. Everything, you understand? Even your pension. You're full of good ideas, Doctor. People are replaceable, Scorby. The crinoid is unique. You want me to die? There is no chance! Miss Smith will be our subject. No! <laughs> don't touch pod don't touch the pod okay the seeds of doom was first broadcast uh it's a six part it first went out on the 31st of january 1976 76 yes there you go and it finished up on the 6th of march and it was directed by douglas canfield 
It was written by Robert Banks Stewart, overseen and uh, and uh, produced by Robert Holmes and Philip Hinchcliffe. We're in the the midst of that era, mm. and um, it stars uh, Tom Baker, Liz Sladen, and then a. a Fairly reasonable sized um, supporting cast. And the synopsis is when scientists in the Antarctic uncover a mysterious seed pod, the doctor is called in to investigate. He soon realises it is extraterrestrial and extremely dangerous. At the same time, however, ruthless millionaire plant lover, <laughs> I love that description, <laughs> ruthless millionaire plant lover Harrison Chase has learned of the find and decides he must have the pod for his collection of rare and beautiful flora. Meanwhile, the pod itself harbours intelligent life with sinister plans of its own. Okay, bud, the seeds of doom. Now, I'm pretty sure that you've said on many occasions that this is one of your least favourite stories. So has it improved? (laughs) Whatever. Do you like this one? What are your thoughts? This is a... I love this story straight off the bat. I think this is one of my favourites um i think it's i think it's uh what i would classify as a an absolute classic in terms of of the classic series of doctor who if you like it's one that i uh, regard very highly i think it's a great story um even being six parts i think it's very nicely sort of split into almost like a two-parter at the beginning in the antarctic and then you know a nice four-parter at chase's stately manner um so yeah i think it's a good one i mean they're watching it again last night uh was it as good as i remember i think yes it was uh there's a bit more running around and being captured than i remembered um from when i last watched it so i will admit there is a bit more padding in it than than i'd given it credit for but it didn't bother me i wasn't bored at any point i i thought the performances were strong from the cast i feel like everybody's into it and season 13 mate is just <laughs> it's the season i want most on blu-ray when we, when we speculate about blu-ray sets coming out this is the season i want probably the most um i love this era under philip hinchcliffe because um, it's got a great sort of uh, almost hammer horror vibe to it um especially this story I mean, it's got some proper horror moments, which I love. And I think they get the line just right without going too far. I think even though Mary Whitehouse probably was going crazy uh, over some of the things in this story, I think they get it just right. Um, But this season, mate, Terror of the Zygons, Pyramids of Mars, Brain of Morbius, Android Invasion. I love these stories. And uh, Seeds of Doom finishes off this season really nicely i think i think it's a great six-parter so apart from maybe a little bit of padding there's a little bit of running around you know in the story once we get into probably the fourth and fifth episode there might be a little bit of padding going on there but i love it i think it's a great story (laughs) so yeah what do you think over to you i'm intrigued because i I don't know what you think of this story, and I wonder if you'll rate it as highly as me. What do you think? Hmm. I think it's a belter. Who knows? <laughs> Come on. But I will tell it. you, I will say <laughs> that I love this story, bud. You do? I love it, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, one of the few, few it's one of the few six-part classic Who stories where um, I, I get swept up in the story um, quite a lot. And the, oh, that's cool. some of the padding bits don't really bother me as much as other stories. Mm. I just think it has a wonderful cast. Really, really good cast. Um, the two standouts for me are obviously Tony Beckley as Chase and um, yeah. and, uh, and uh, uh, John Chalice as Scorby. Um, now, a lot of people scoff 
John Chalice in this one. A lot of people really? find his his uh, his character a little bit OTT and a little bit. Um, where were we? We were somewhere, weren't we? And we were talking about the story. It was probably a BFI thing, and somebody said that John Chalice was absolutely awful in it. Not at all, because no. uh, because his acting was very just not. You can tell that um, people like John Beckley. I mean, uh, sorry, Tony Beckley. Um, or Derek Anthony Beckley, if you want to use his full name, you can tell that he's a, a, a classically trained actor, you know, went to the Royal Academy of Arts. He's got that vibe, is not he? Yeah. Yeah, and some of the other people as well, like Michael Barrington, who played Thackeray, and mm. and uh, and good old, bless her heart, Sylvia Coldridge, you know. Some of these people that went, <laughs> who were very classically trained. And then you throw John Chalice in there, who's a bit of a, uh, a bit at the time, a bit of a lad, and, you know, a bit mm. of a, or whatever. Not to say that he didn't have any, you know, uh, acting, uh, training anywhere like that. But a lot of people compare the two. Like those guys are very sort of old English, classically trained. And then you've got Scorby, who's just a bit OTT and chewing the wood a lot. However, hmm. I really like his performance in this. We'll come on to him, obviously, in a bit more detail in a minute. But yeah, I just thought he was a very, very cool character. And not one of the usual kind of... Um, you know, one of the henchmen to the main baddie that just gets dispatched quite early on in the story. He actually lasts mm. quite a long time. And um, and he has some great scenes with the Doctor. So, um, yeah, so a great cast for me. A really good story. And um, not really, not really, um, what's the word? In terms of the effects of the story, even though it's very similar to other monster monster um stories where it's a guy in a suit that's kind of hobbling around and that sort of thing mm. it was actually okay like the it was the the crinoids did look genuinely menacing in this and um and some of the makeup was really good you and i spoke about the um the the green bubble wrap and the effect that they used on people in the oh, ark yeah. in space when you go fast forward to this story that you know the bit where um keeler is on the bed and he's been the process has started yeah. to turn into a crinoid. Like the effect all over his body and stuff is very, very cool. It is good, yeah. yeah really creepy. Worlds apart from the old bubble wrap from mm. the Ark in Space. So there's a lot to love about this story. It's yeah. got that really cool... And obviously, Tom Baker is just brilliant in this one. Like He's in the zone, isn't he? When we talk about Tom yep. being into a story, he's into it in this one. Definitely, yeah. And yeah. Um, in contrast to... Um, again, to use the Ark in Space example, we said that although Tom was very good in that, it lacked some of those moments that stand out that when you watch it back, you mm. immediately think, oh, that was such an amazing scene. And even if you haven't seen it in a while, you you think of some of the scenes where Tom is really, like you said, just firing on all cylinders and in the zone. And mm. we felt he was a little bit, um, not plain, but a little bit reserved, I guess in something like the Ark in Space, where in this one, we have those scenes where Tom is beaming, like massive smile, but at the same time delivering a very sinister, threatening line almost. And the bits where he's shouting at the top of his lungs at somebody in their face. Yeah. And so you, it's stories like this where you just think, yeah, Tom is without a doubt, you know, one of the best doctors because of the way he just took the script and just moulded it into his own thing if you like but mm. also at the same time um being truthful for what the script is trying to achieve so um some people might say that's a bit of an ego thing 
you know, but I think that was just Tom, you know, being Tom. Anyway, I love this story, dude. I, I love it. How did you watch it? Because I did it as three, um, three, one and two. How did you do it? Well, actually, I'd planned to do it two and four. So I thought I'll watch the two parts at the start, which are in the Antarctic. Because I always see that as a, although it leads into this story, it can also be quite a nice little contained story. Um, and But I was enjoying it so much that I watched <laughs> I watched the next one. So I actually watched it three and three. Um, which yeah, cool. was, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I could have easily hap- or happily sat and watched all six parts in, the, in a go. I was quite happy to go on and just watch the rest of them. But I thought, no, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll split it up. I'll save some for tomorrow night. But I, I could have happily watched it all in one go, um, which is quite rare for a six part, I think. Um, you know, normally yeah. episodes four and five, they just slow down and drag, but they don't in this. Like you said, even though there's a bit of running around, and and capture and stuff it's still very entertaining um so yeah i could have yeah i could have happily watched it all in one go i'm glad you like it as well because i think although it's highly regarded by most fans it's not one uh, certainly when you know if we're down the pub chatting and that i don't think it often gets brought up particularly um you know it's one of like those stories that people talk about a lot uh, but i do think it is highly regarded in fandom and i think the performances in it like the cast are brilliant even the supporting actors in this are great and i i agree with you about john chalice i think he's um i think he's great as scorby i think he's i i like the fact he starts off as just your standard henchman but he does have a bit of an arc because mm. he has to work with the doctor and sarah at the end albeit he's doing it to save his own skin but he kind of has a bit of a turnaround like <laughs> one minute he's putting him in the mincer machine and the next minute he's like oh my god you know help me save my life and so I think he's, he's quite a good rounded character, and I think um, George Chalice does a good job playing him. Uh, when he does meet his death in the water, when the weed gets him, um, I think that's quite well done for the time. And also, I bet that water was blimmin' oh. freezing. Because yep. it's, um, it's quite cold here in the UK at the minute, isn't it? We were saying earlier that it's freezing you know, here and just watching this last night just made me feel even more cold because <laughs> there's snow blizzards. There's, uh, you know, the, the scene of the water. I was just feeling like I was shivering just watching it. But yeah, and I think it's great in it. But the supporting cast, mate, even the guys in the first two episodes in the Antarctic base, normally when you get actors in Doctor Who, no offense, they feel a bit, um, it's a bit like watching a, uh, a theater performance. You know, their performance just doesn't always feel even if they're good, doesn't always feel particularly realistic. But the guys they've got in this um, are just delivering a very natural, and I think almost uh, it's a good piece of drama. They are taking it so seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who's the guy who's, um, you know, the professor, when they first bring him in the pod and he's um, sort of scared of it, but fascinated by it. The guy with the big beard, what's his name? Oh, is that, um, is that a Thackeray, the is it? No, that's not yeah. Thackeray, no. Oh, no, not Thackeray, no. Uh, the botanist guy. Uh, what's his? Yeah, I know who you mean. Um, those those yeah. early guys. I mean, even those are do, doing a great performance. You know, when the, when he first gets taken over by the crinoid and the horror that's in those scenes, they really play it for real. Stevenson, the, played by uh, Hubert Reese, is that doctor guy? Yeah, that's the botanist. It, yeah, yeah. Um, they just really sell the story to me. Do you know what I mean, they, they, I just think that they everybody in this is is playing it for real and taking it very seriously, and especially Tom. He's um he's so snappy and <laughs> he's he's so wired in this, isn't mm-hmm. he? Like he re- he really feels like the doctor is as is uh is scared. He's take he's like this you know this pod, you know he's almost frustrated with the humans for being so stupid. He's like, don't you realise what you you know what you're doing? 
you know, you need to destroy this thing. And it's, yeah, the shouting and everything that Tom delivers, you know, it's just everybody I feel like is firing on all cylinders in this story. And overall, I think it looks great. Um, great locations. The model works good. I mean, the, the early stuff on the Antarctic with the helicopter and all that looks great for, for the time it was made. I mean, Doctor Who doesn't always <laughs> look that good when you get scenes like that. When the base blows up, I mean, it's a pretty good model. The The model of the house at the end being taken over by the crinoid is a decent model for the time. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I had to be really nitpicky, the only bit that lets it down is when the the crinoid becomes a bit blobby and he runs towards the camera and it's so, so rubbery. And that's the yeah, only shot yeah. I think that lets this down as a, in terms of, but that, that would fit into any other Doctor Who story. It's only the fact that the rest of this story is so well produced that that one shot stands out to me. as being, Oh dear, that didn't look very good. Cause it's kind of like running towards the camera, isn't it? Like blah, 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 blah. You know, and it doesn't yeah. look very good. Yeah. That's, yeah, if that's the worst that this uh, has to offer in this story, then I think it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. no, agreed on that, dude. It's an interesting one as well, because at this point in Doctor Who's classic run, what we're up to, series 12, 13, 13, isn't it? Uh, 13, yeah. At this point for a, for a good few years now, any time that they went on location, uh, it was 16 mil colour film. Yeah. Whereas this one was just used standard videotape that they'd use for any sort of outside broadcast, like um, like if you had a news reporter out mm. doing something. However, it still looks very good. You would you would think that because it wasn't on 16 mil that they would struggle, but it's actually okay. The only one thing that they struggle with on some of the outside bits is because it's on videotape, on broadcast tape, it does suffer with that... Um, what's the word? Um, well, there's two kind of effects, really, that that you suffer with with broadcast videotape and the first one is when it always happens when someone's got a machine gun or a pistol yeah, the lines you yeah. get those sort of scan lines that go up and down the screen yeah. I, I think the vibration or something to do with the sonic resonance is like interfering with the tape itself and then the other thing is you always have it on interior set stuff where you have a bright light and the phosphor trail oh, I know what you mean. Shortly yeah, after. So yeah the bit in this when they're outside and they're firing the big laser cannon up at the giant crinoid Mm. you see that massively like when it's fired the actual flash stays on screen for Mm -hmm. you know a couple of seconds and it sort of follows so that aside it still looks very cool even though it's not on film i I almost wish it was on film actually to be honest mate because some i mean i think they think that some people find it jarring because that is the thing of of like television back in this time that they used to film all outside stuff on film so that it, there would be a difference in in the picture quality which was quite noticeable and they, they say that some people find that jarring i don't i just see it as a as a thing of the time you know i think that's just how it was and i think the only downside to the location scenes being filmed on uh what's you know not film yeah, just broadcast video <laughs> broadcast tape. Yeah. is that it does make a lot of the outside scenes look like they were done in the studio so that first scene where they on the antarctic is obviously real location but because of the lighting and the and the quality of the film to me it looks like it's a studio because uh, it's very tightly shot as well and i sort of think yeah i don't know there is a cl- there's a clarity to film and uh, mm-hmm. even though it does it is noticeable when you switch from that to studio it's never bothered me ever, um, so I kind of wish the location scenes in this were done on film, especially as it's such a great 
location. Um, when they when they issued the day of the Triffids oh, yeah. on Blu-ray, they filmized the whole thing because they thought that modern audiences wouldn't be able to tolerate the difference between the studio and the location footage looking different, which was totally the wrong decision. It, you know, it's it's how television was made. It's part of television back then you know it, it's not something that bugs people i don't think if anything it bugs me more that they did it you know and so i think um and there is a bit of a, a, a relevance i think to day of the triffids with this it does no, have yep. that day of the triffids yeah. vibe doesn't it when the mm-hmm. thing's breaking through the windows and stuff but yeah i kind of wish that it was on film if i'm honest uh, the location footage but it kind of flows i mean at least there's no difference in picture quality i suppose yeah true you do get that consistency between nipping outside and then back to a set and so on because you do have a lot of that in this episode where not the first not the first couple of eps when they're in the antarctic where it's um <laughs> it's clearly uh fake snow although they did do a decent job of that until you see the doctor digging in the snow to get the other yeah. pod out that yeah, just looks right. like um balled up you know bits of <laughs> tissue paper or something mush yeah yeah <laughs> and they've also done this thing where they put this um uh, effect over the top of the picture with the snow effect where mm-hmm. th- th- you know there isn't a snow machine blowing it around on the set it's just like this you know this uh, visual effect that they put like over the blizzard front. effect isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah which is kind of cool um, it's just yeah, that the, it's, uh, it's just that the film looks grainy doesn't it i think that's the thing bit. when you when you're on film or videotape sorry rather than film like the location scenes always look much sharper if they're on film i think that's yeah. why i wish it was on yeah. film it just looks a bit grainy um, but that's fine. As I said, it's it's uh, of its time, isn't it? 1976, for goodness sake. So Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's just interesting that a lot of location stuff up to this point was on film, but, mm. but they made the decision to use videotape. So whatever that decision was, we're not sure. Um, maybe a budget thing, maybe a, a logistic thing. It's, it's very difficult to try and get all of your... I hate using the saying, but sometimes it's very difficult to get all your ducks in a row with mm. producing a television show. Sometimes you don't always go to plan. So maybe if there just wasn't any particular 60 mil cameras available, maybe they couldn't afford the, the film, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, so they, they defaulted back to um, that. Regardless, it still looks cool to me. Um, it does. It still looks good. Yeah. And um, even some of the model shots look really good. Like the, um, the, the wide, um, establishing shots of the base in the antarctic they look really good and very good for doctor who, yeah, yeah a bit later on when um when uh when uh scorby scorby sets the charge and then you see the explosion and that yeah. the model blows up and then fast forward to what was it episode five and six where the giant crinoid is on top of the the, the house mm. and it's kind of trying to crush the house and all the tentacles or coming through the window even that looks really good it does yeah. yeah it has that almost jace of the argonauts i don't know if they did it with stock motion or how they did that i'm not sure whether it was just being moved in real time i don't know but i love the look of it it looks classic and it does look good it's a great model it does yeah, yeah. and the For house the time, as well it's, great. Yeah. it's a very decent well close enough um replica i guess of the full-size uh, manor house that they filmed mm. some of the location stuff at and it's a really, yeah, and just to know it just it hasn't got the typical because that could have been a terrible bloody bit of blue screen 
you know mm. thing so but yeah, yeah it's uh, the, the the fact that they got some talented dudes to come and do the model stuff is um is very good um mm. so visually and how it's produced and directed no complaints really dude it's um it's all good yeah, I was going to say direction-wise as well. Dougie Canfield is. Uh, I always think he's one of the best. Dougie, <laughs> he's he's one of the best uh, <clears throat> directors in Doctor Who. I think, and we talked about Russell being the right man for the job as producer, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> Dougie Canfield was definitely the right man for the job to direct this because it's it's absolutely up his street with all the action in it. You know, the doctor the doctor's actually quite violent to be honest in places he's jumping through windows and throwing people into tables and punching them into the sand i mean there's there's a lot of sort of almost borderline non-doctory fight scenes in this um but doug is your man for that he's 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 a great director and i often wondered why he didn't do more doctor who's i read his book actually a, a couple of years ago um well it was a book about him uh obviously not written by him and i think he he was very much loved by the Doctor Who production team around this era, but he didn't want to be just associated with Doctor Who. Yeah. So he, he made a conscious decision to, to only direct so many stories and, you know, so that he didn't get, a, you know, just associated with that one program. He wanted to be sort of spread his wings a bit, but he was the great director. Whenever you see his name on any Doctor Who episode, you know, it's going to be beautifully directed. And this is a, a good example. Um, yeah, but the other was notice, one, wasn't it? This was his last Doctor Who story. Th- yeah. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other noticeable thing about um, Douglas Canfield is the music is always different in his stories mm-hmm. because he, we don't know why, and they don't really touch on it much in the book, but he, we don't know if he fell out with Dudley Simpson or if they just didn't get on or because from what I understand they you know their paths crossed and it was perfectly amicable but for whatever reason whenever Dougie was uh, directing an episode or two he always used a different musician so Dudley Simpson would do all the stories pretty much except for the Douglas Canfield ones in that season and this is no different so this season gets uh, this episode gets um What's the composer called? Not Tristan Carey. I always no, go to say that. Jeffrey Bergen. Jeffrey Bergen, that's yeah. it, who does a lovely score. I mean, it's great. Um, mm-hmm. He also did Tear of the Zygons, which was directed by Douglas Canfield as well. So Douglas Canfield seemed to favour Jeffrey Bergen over Dudley Simpson for every episode he directed. And I I kind of like that because as much as I love Dudley, we both love Dudley Simpson, it is nice just to get something just a little bit different. And uh, I love the score in this. I think it's really creepy and atmospheric, and you know, it's yeah. It's, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's um, a, same with Terror of the Zygons. Yeah, it's, it's surprising that um, Jeffrey Bergen only did two episodes of Doctor Who because it, um, is that the only two he did? Yeah, he only did two, and uh, this one, and I, I prefer this one to Terror of the Zygons, although that is another good score. Is that the only two Doctor Who's he did then? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I didn't um, know that. It's it, he has such a knack of 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 having the the concept if you like the story and making a score that absolutely puts you in the same like whenever i this um some of these tracks on this story pop up on just random when i've got doctor who soundtracks playing in the background when i'm working i always know exactly when it's the seeds of doom it's got that just amazing creepy atmospheric feel to it and um i think the another reason why i like his stuff is because you know, like when you've got your nostalgia goggles on mm-hmm. and you think back to something when you were younger that was just amazing, but not many people know about it. So back in the day, um, 
it must have been in the late 80s. I think it was like 89. I was only eight or nine years old at the time. But the BBC did um, the BBC did a three-parter of the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, yes, I remember that, yeah. And he did the soundtrack to that. Oh, right. And, mate, it was such an amazing soundtrack. It was really, really good. Even the opening theme, when the credits were... Uh, when they saw the opening titles were going on and just it was exactly like the scenes of doom it had that really cool atmospheric feel to it it's got that lovely late 80s feel to it but Mm. also with some fun little honestly mate it's it's such a good soundtrack to the old bbc produced line the witch and the wardrobe stuff anyway you'll have to dig that out i've got that somewhere yeah it's great mate it's um so yeah so i've got a lot of time for his his approach to um mm. to sound to, to coming up with scores and stuff it's not like because you know in this period of who we we often get um a mix of like just standard stock bits here and there and then we obviously get um, um dudley simpson dudley simpson stuff which was uh, he did a lot let's be honest mm. um but not all of it hits the mark for me i love mm. dudley's work for the most part but there are some stories where we reviewed it and we're like yeah it almost feels like it was stock music anyway. It doesn't feel mm. like So uh, that's no shade against um, Dudley Simpson at all. Um, but, I, but for some reason, this score just is very, very cool at keeping you in, in that world and in that zone of what's going on. So, yeah. And it's not, it's not overly different to Dudley either, is it? It's like it's got its own style, but it doesn't stand out. You'd, if you were watching this... You wouldn't sit there and think, God, hang on a minute. This music's totally different. Who's doing it? it, it it's different enough to be unique, but it, it yeah. doesn't, it's, do, it's not jarring. You don't sit there and think, oh, you know, this isn't Dudley, is it? It's, a, it's just beautiful soundtrack and it totally works the episode, but it also fits in very nicely with the upper episodes. Like it doesn't jar at all, um, which I think is great because it's, it's all the flute sounds and, you know, it's a beautiful soundtrack. Yeah. It really is. And like you said, it really, enhances what you're watching on the on the screen very creepy mm. in places and beautiful in other places yeah if i had to say one thing though about it <laughs> mm-hmm. um uh, the piece of music that he put together for when the raf's flying in towards the mansion at the end y- that sounded like stock yeah yeah that sounded a bit like um like pip pip you know McNuggets away, like yeah. this kind of weird um yeah. So other than that, it's a it's an amazing soundtrack. Very you're, atmospheric. Yeah. You're right there, mate. That did stand out to me as well. I almost wondered if it was stock music or if that was him. But yeah, that definitely was a bit. It just is so different to everything else in the story. But maybe maybe that was the point. But yeah, I'm not sure about that bit of music either. That didn't mm. that didn't quite work. You're right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> Thankfully, it's now. only thirty seconds. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think to the crinoids as the monster of the? Not monster of the week, but monster of this story, the alien, and um, yeah, because they're uh, they're not a mega original creation, like you said. There is a bit of um, influence taken from the Triffids and you know, mm. any other sort of plant-based horror thing, but they are a very cool alien, aren't they? Yeah, I yes, I I love the crinoid, mate. I think I, this idea of the pod, you know, it's a little bit alien. Well, this would be before Alien before, as well, right? Yeah. 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 Um, but yes, love the idea of this pod and it opening and this vine coming out, you know, the bit where uh, Chase is holding Sarah's arm and, the you know, you know you're waiting for the thing to come out. Um, I think it's a great idea. Like, it might not be that original. Like you said, I'm sure there's plenty of sci-fi that have done variations on this. But yeah, it totally works for me. And I, I love 
the early stages of it as well. I find that the most creepy when they're sort of still human, but they've got, like you said, really well made up. Um, the transition into the crinoid, I think, is brilliant. I think that's when they're the most scary. I, I find that more scary than the big beast at the end, to be honest, which I would imagine at the time, if you were a child back in 1976, you would probably prefer, you'd probably be terrified of the early mm. stages, but you'd love the big crinoid at the end over mm. the house. But as an adult, I find the earlier scenes much more creepy when they're transitioning and trying to fight it and all that sort of thing. Because just there's something about... If you've just got the human eyes, but everything else is alien, if you like, that's really creepy because you're seeing the human underneath it all. Um, so I think they're a really creepy monster. And um, I think, thankfully, the production values are pretty high in Doctor Who terms uh, for this because, you know, the scenes when the tentacles are smashing through the glass and stuff at the end, I think if this had been during the Pertwee era, no offence, you know, sometimes the production values weren't always as good and it, it becomes a bit laughable like it's it's those sort of scenes that could easily have been let the story down that they'd be the scenes that any casual viewer that was to walk in on you watching this now would laugh out and point at and say oh my god doctor who wasn't it awful back in the day you know i think these scenes still stand up really really well when uh, when they're trying to do that so yeah. production wise it's very adventurous but for once doctor who i think manages to to pull it off when it didn't always succeed in those type of scenes. So yeah, crinoid for me, mate, they're, they're a good monster. 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 Indeedy. Yeah. A good alien. Yeah. They're a good alien. And it's, it's, it's something a bit different, isn't it? Plant life coming alive. Yeah. And just as a tenuous link, a little crossover, Tom mm. Baker was in the BBC program Chronicles of Narnia. Oh yes, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. He played the old swamp dude, puddle gum. Yes. Forgot about that. Mate, that is such a good series. I'm going to have to dig it out. I've got the DVD somewhere. I'm going to have to dig it out now. Yeah. Listener, if you've not even heard of this before, or if you've absolutely not seen it, then go and find it somewhere. They must be on YouTube, or you can you can definitely pick it up on DVD and stuff like that. But I, I don't like the bit where they stab Aslan, though. Oh, yeah. I got complaints. Back, he can, I know he does. Yeah, it yeah. got complaints back in the day, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I must dig that out. <laughs> yes, go and check it out. It's got that classic kind of 80s, late 80s feel to it. So it's of its mm. time, but it's a wonderful little, oh, nostalgia has just taken over. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, the crinoids, they were, and, and I'm the same as you. I prefer them when they're more in human form, but they've been mm. taken over before Keeler's um, crinoid starts to expand and, and grow, which is down to... Um, down to Chase, isn't it? Because the doctor finds out that Chase has been feeding him like extra food, extra plant food or something. And the doctor's like losing his rag and and, and is unimpressed. So yeah. nice one, Chase. It, I uh, think Ch Chase is great though, isn't he? Because I think that's the thing. The crinoids are, <laughs> are sort of the monster of the week, if you want to call it that. But it's really Chase who's sort of like the bad guy, really, because... The monsters are just trying to survive. Um, Chase is the one that's just uh, helping them and uh, and yeah. doing all the bad stuff and throwing humans into the mix. And and he's, he's a great character, isn't he? I love this idea of someone that, you know, you can just imagine he's a bit of an introvert and he basically he prefers plant life over humans. You know, that's the, he, you know he's got no time for human beings. He 
adores plants and he wants to do everything he can to they're like his friends aren't they he just mm. wants to shut himself away playing his bizarre mad music which is really weird and i love that idea but he just wants to shut himself away and immerse himself in a different world with these plants and and stuff and i love that because it's again it's something totally different and um i just i just think the character is really interesting with his little gloves on um, yep. and, and and very nicely played by what was the actor called? Very Tony nicely, Beckley. yeah, Anthony very Beckley. nicely played. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it gets a very nasty comeuppance again. That's very borderline for Doctor Who, even even back in 1976 when he gets put in the crusher. That mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. Uh, Philip Hinchcliffe stepped in and said there was that was going to be more nasty than what we see on screen. There was going to be blood on the wheels and. Um, bone crunching sound effects and Philip Hinchcliffe was like no 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 yeah. we're, we're pushing it we're pushing it to the line as, as we are we're not we can't go too far but mm-hmm. yeah even that's quite a nasty scene when he finally goes in the crusher isn't it even I'm like oh no <laughs> it is yeah because you know that something's coming up with the crusher because you do <laughs> people have been thrown in there at various points throughout yeah. the story and have been saved every time so you thought well somebody's bound to get a comeuppance in the crusher mm-hmm. it's going to happen so yeah. Um, but it's weird because Tony Beckley, um, it's weird because uh, his full name is Derek Anthony Beckley, but he doesn't go mm. by his first name weirdly. But um, old Del Boy, you know, this is coming up to the end of his career, sadly. So his last his last TV job was just the following year, and um, which was in 1977. Mm. And um, and that was it. So this is like the, the twilight years of his career. I think he um, he retired, but sadly passed away in 1980 when he was 52 sadly but um so up at this point though he'd done some cool stuff his most famous thing outside of this was the italian job um oh yeah he's in that he's in that yeah and um yeah it's uh um but obviously he did the zed cars thing we can't oh was he in zed cars he was mr fry in one of the episodes (laughs) so um yeah (laughs) So uh, he did that, but anyway, his performance in this was really good. He played the kind of and well written as well, right? Such a great yeah. character to write, and you must have thought, as an actor, what a great role just to get your teeth into. You're not playing just a standard baddie who just wants to destroy the world. You're doing it in this way that's got this extra stuff around it. Like you mentioned, he plays mm. this weird kind of electronic instrument, and he's playing <laughs> it for his plants, quote yeah. unquote. And then he turns a bit nutty at the end, you know, and he's sat there and he's on the platform, but he's gazing all around the place and not making eye contact. Mm. And, and he just loses his mind. He goes, so it's a wonderful role that was, that was written by, um, by uh, Robert Stewart. So hats off for that. And yeah, and Tony Beckley is just brilliant. He's yeah. very, very cool. And some snazzy suits as well. Yeah, it's a very yeah. snazzy suit, so a big old tie, <laughs> big old kipper tie. Yeah. He's um he's a well-rounded character though, because you do you when you get a villain, you always wonder what the motive is. Are they just plain evil or is there more to it? And with Chase, there's definitely more to it. You know, he's he's just disgusted by the fact that they want to put weed killer on the plants. Like that's sacrilege, and you sort mm-hmm. of think, well, you know, he's got a point. We're trying to kill the weed. So it, it, you can sort of um almost sympathize with him to a point but then he just takes it too far and go you know he goes mad basically but it's that's what i mean he's a good rounded character with motive for what he's doing albeit that he's lost the plot and he's going (laughs) too far but yeah when he gets put in the crusher you kind of knew that was coming thank goodness it's such a slow moving like the doctor feels (laughs) like he's in it forever um there's a funny thing on the is it the production notes or the 
behind the scenes feature. I can't remember now. I watched both, but um, t- generally, Dougie Canfield used to create a, a very uh, light-hearted atmosphere on set. But, uh, I think most actors that worked on Dot Two have not got a bad word to say about Dougie Canfield. They loved working with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a military man and he was very precise at what he wanted, but he always tried to create a very happy atmosphere on set. But there was a moment um, where Tom was getting a bit tired and it's in the scene where he's tied up and put in the crusher. And um, they had to do a couple of takes. I think uh, there was a few fluff lines from the other actors and he was getting a bit narky. It was getting a bit late at night. And... Um, he said something about, oh, you should throw this script in the crusher. It's a load of blimmin' compost or something like that. He was getting a bit thing. Uh, but he didn't realise that the writer was up in the gallery. He could hear every word. <laughs> so that probably did, was probably a bit awkward in the BBC bar afterwards. Um, with uh, They call him Bob Bank-Stewart on the thing. Obviously, it's Robert uh, Bank-Stewart, is it? Yeah, that's it. Robert Bank-Stewart. But they say Bob Bank-Stewart mm-hmm. was uh, up in the gallery and heard Tom slagging off the script and saying it should be put in the crusher and, you know, a bit Oof. awkward afterwards, apparently. Yeah, but most of the time I think it was quite a happy atmosphere on set, but it was obviously a bit late at night. Tom getting a bit tetchy, probably wanted to go home or to the bar. Or to the bar. Yeah, because some yeah. of the location stuff was filmed at BBC Television Centre, wasn't it? Oh, it is, isn't like it? Yes, opening yes. bit where Tom screeches up in the car and and, mm. and uh, legs it through the door that's the uh that's the main doors and then there was another bit um there was another bit wasn't there where um they're inside and uh, a couple of the offices and stuff uh, office studios around um television center as well so yeah they definitely would have hit up the bar at some point because uh, oh for, yeah. for sure mate i guess actually the location's quite nice isn't it the actual well, obviously the BBC one's a bit dull, uh, but the because uh, <laughs> it stands out a mile. You know it's the BBC Centre as soon as you see it. Um, but the other one, the actual Chase's oh, mansion, Dorset. yeah, down in Dorset, Athelhampton, Athelhampton House, yeah, yeah. Have you ever been there? Or? No, no. I'd love to go. I mean, I, I went there years ago, but I'd, I'd love to go back. Um, it's such a great place to visit. But I, I went there a very long time ago with my a friend of mine drove me down there, and it felt like. It, Forever. It felt like we were forever. Yeah. I didn't realise Dorset was so far. because oh, was miles in, away from where we are. And it was really was in the middle of nowhere as well. I remember when we finally were getting t- near it and we went down this little road and turned right into the into the gateway that you see in the episode. And I was like, oh, we're finally here. My friend was in such a bad mood by the time we got there. It's really tetchy. So we sort of had a quick coffee. I took some pictures really quickly and we took a walk around the gardens. But... um. I don't know. It felt like as soon as we got there, we wanted to. He wanted to turn around and go back again because it was such a long way. But I, I would love to go back there because um, it was so long ago. I think I was taking pictures on a digital camera. You know, none of this, <laughs> none of this um, camera phone business. I think it was on a digital camera. But the, even those pictures are probably not very good quality. But I'd love to go back there. It's a great, great place, and it looks, from what I remember, it looked just like it did in the TV series. You know, nothing's changed. I think it's National yeah. Trust now. I'm not sure. Uh, it's not National Trust, but it is a private no. estate. Yeah. I think. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but you can go in and have a look um, mm. on most weekdays. They actually yeah, allow guess. you to go in. So it's privately owned, but they don't care if you want to go and have a look around. And mm. It does look very cool, though. I just remember yeah. my friend snapping, saying, take pictures now because we won't be coming back. And I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a bad on that day. Didn't oh, I was no. Yeah. I'll go back there. One day I shall go back. One day... 
I should yeah. be. But yeah, so, um, it's just the fact, it's just remember being so far away. Every time I think of going there, I'm like, oh, it's, yeah, such a journey. Oh, Dorset, <laughs> mate, it's miles away. Yeah. Even further for me than it is for you, I think. Um, oh, God, yeah. I think it's, well, from where I am, I think it's roughly uh, four, hour, four hours drive mm. from where I am, something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so if we were going to do that, you'd need to set, well, three and a half hours for me, probably about just under three hours, just over three for you. But if you're going to go and do that, depending on where you are, you need to set a whole day. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember um, we went past the, um, uh, what they called, the stones. Um, the oh, stones. No, God, my mind's gone to bits. Stonehenge. What are they called? Stonehenge. I remember we the drove st- past Stonehenge <laughs> at Battle of the Stones. I'm thinking of Stones of Blood. <laughs> yeah, I remember we drove past uh, Stonehenge at about 500 miles an hour. It got his foot to the pedal on the way back. It's like, we've got to get back. It was, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, it's a great location and well used in the story as well, isn't it? It's, uh, yes. You know, they yeah. utilise it really, really well. And the studio scenes match up pretty good with it, I think. Yeah, I'll tell you, you so. know, they don't, yeah. they don't sort of stand yeah. out as, oh, okay, we're definitely in the studio now. It looks, still mm. looks pretty good. It's got a similar vibe to me that they did, that they used um, in Pyramids of Mars, where that, um, whatever um, private estate house that they used for that, I can't remember mm. where it was, what location that's in. No, but, I can't, Star Manor or something it was yeah, called. Yeah, they it? used, um, it's the same approach where if you're going to go there to film, then you make the most of it, so you use all the exterior, all the doors, you use the grounds, the gardens, you know, all that stuff. It's got a very similar approach. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's rattle through some other characters then that were quite cool. Um, okay. Nothing really stand out in the way of unit. I think this is often classed as um, the last official unit story until whenever it was in the 80s when they came back, whenever it was. Um, yeah. Although we had a couple of characters pop up in, oh, is it the Five Doctors? We had... Oh, um, yeah. You know, um, well, the Briggs in it, obviously. The Briggs in it, obviously. So, yeah. technically, Unit does appear again, but I think as it's officially classed as a Unit story overall, I think this is the last one for ages, I think. Uh, Battlefield, when they come back, that's it, in 89. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, um, not, many, not much going away because the Briggs not in it and some other people. It's got a fairly mediocre kind of run-of-the-mill Unit cast there's one dude isn't there the colonel what's his name uh, you know the colonel yeah um, i mean it's strange isn't it because unit to me don't feel like unit in it but it's solely because i uh, you know the the unit to me is the brig benton and and yates really exactly you know? so it's odd yeah. to see unit in the story but not have them there so the, although it is unit it doesn't feel like a unit story at all to me and the big briggs in blimmin' geneva again again he's always yeah. in geneva what's going on Sunny. over there has he got a, has he got a lady over there do you reckon <laughs> the it's always over in geneva yeah. Um, but yeah it's good to see unit in it but to me they don't feel like unit just because mm-hmm. you need the brig there really that's what i was thinking yeah it doesn't really feel like a, a full-on unit thing i mean sergeant henderson uh, is the guy that helps the doctor quite a lot you know with the weed killer and Mm. and all that stuff um who was henderson played by ray baron uh he was pretty good and then we have obviously the colonel dude that turns up with the laser and and that kind of thing so the only yeah the only other coolish kind of unit thing i think is when the doctor goes to see um colin thackeray to let him know that like a bunch of other people involved with you know, agriculture around the area of the mm. house has been killed 
because they're like, well, Doctor, this is ridiculous. You know, we can't invade without <laughs> yeah. proper evidence. So the Doctor hands them like, the report and stuff. And, you know, the Doctor yells in this guy's face again. He's like, waffle, waffle. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> um, so there was that guy as well. I can't remember the Colonel's, uh, his name in it, but... Um, yeah, very old school British. He, he reminds me of someone out of a Pertwee episode. I was he thinking, he, yeah. he's like one of the old school. You know, you yes. could possibly imagine going in there, Doctor. You know, he's got that very pompous mm-hmm. British thing going on. Yeah. yeah. So unit were you know it's, you, you're never going to pick you know put this in a top five unit story. I uh, forgot they're in it to be but, honest. Yeah, I've watched exactly. this quite a few times. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but they yeah. you know you know units unit in some mm-hmm. places. Um, what did you think too? Um, we mentioned him very uh, early on, but um, John Chalice as Scorby, brilliant, I think. Honestly, one of the best characters in the story for me. Because, like uh, you said, he has a yeah. bit of an arc, right? He has a bit of a... And he gets stuck in, and he's like... Yeah. He's, you can tell he's he's going for it, and I, I really like him in it as well. Yeah, he's got a bit of an arc. He, mm. he sort of um, He's the bad guy, but he has to rally with the good guys to survive, and... Um, yeah, although he doesn't survive. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's great. I think the thing is, you, people just automatically think of Boise because that's what he's so well known for, isn't it? It's Boise from Only Falls Norses. But um, yeah, it's good to see him playing something completely different. And I, I like him in it. I, I think there are scenes when you can tell that Tom Baker's trying to make him laugh a lot of the time. <laughs> you can just, you can see that they, they can't look at each other. because mm-hmm. So there's one or two scenes where I can see that John Chalice is really desperately trying not to laugh. Um, that might just be because it tells me in the production notes that there was, you know, they had to keep cutting because they were laughing and yeah. yeah, they got told off. So, but you can see in his face, I think in a couple of scenes that he's like not looking at Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they were having good fun on set and yeah, I think he's a good character, mate. I think he stands out as a, a, a as a fun character as well as a quite menacing at times. Like early on, he's pretty, you know, he's not taking any nonsense, is he? That bit where he throws Tom in the bins. Oh, yeah. I was like, wow, flipping heck. Oh, there's also a bit where Tom <laughs> shoves someone out of a door. You know, when Tom goes to see the pompous guy, and he goes, thank you, and he kind of shoves this bloke. Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought, blimmin' heck, Tom. Yeah. He properly shoves him out of the office. They're not messing around in this episode. They're really going for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, John Chalice going for it just as much as everyone else. I think he's good in it. Yeah, Dougie Canfield's not messing about. He's like, look, when you shove him in those bins, you need to shove him. <laughs> he really and, does, does up Because he's not just once. He's like, you know, two or three times he gets properly... And they're metal bins as well. They're not like... Yeah. You know, this is not rubber props or anything. These he's are, thrown them around like... <laughs> yeah, it's great. There was yeah. a scene, actually, that always gets taken out of context, isn't there? You know when people talk about how how the Doctor kind of portrays this image of, like, you know, he hates guns and hates killing people and then Mm. they use this clip they always use the one with colin baker obviously when he's you know strangling perry and all that but there's a scene that they always (laughs) use in here where the um the doctor's having a bit of a scuffle with scorby out in the garden and it looks like the doctor breaks his neck oh yeah he twists his head around quite forcefully that's right which kind of links into this stuff because you can tell that that Dougie's been like, look, we need to obviously make this look believable. So mm. if you guys write of it, don't hold back, you know, properly throw yourselves into it. So there's a bit where he looks like he breaks his neck because Scorby falls to the ground motionless, it looks like. And yeah. one of the first time I watched this years ago, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> the doctor's just literally snapped someone's neck and killed him. Surely not. And then, you mm. know, a couple of minutes later, you see Scorby sort of holding his neck like, 
oh that bloody bloody doctor um but yes that he's a great character and the reason why i like um john chalice's performance specifically is because there's a he, he does show some range in this mm. and what i mean by that is like you said a lot of people know him as boise where there is no range really um because it's a comedy thing but in this there's a couple of scenes where he's questioning what's going on and the look on his face the way he acts that is perfect because mm. he's obviously very loyal to chase because he's being paid well but then there's a bit where the doctor kind of says to him oh come on wake up you know you can tell that he's and he, he, at first he's like no doctor you know i'm very loyal because of the pay but then there's some scenes where he's like he doesn't launch into a sort of verbal tirade. He holds back. He's like, is this correct? Has he lost his mind? And mm. then when they go back and he sees him, he sees Chase's out of it. He's yeah. like, you know, he's he's off his head. You know, he's he's lost it. And then later on when the, the house is under siege from the giant crinoid, he's, he's starting to lose his mind. Not for the same reason as Chase, but he's like, we're, we're, there's no point. You know, we're going to die. You know, and he's like rocking back and forwards almost and he's sweating and so yeah for me dude well really good character and a great performance for me yeah yeah no i'd agree i totally yeah. agree very yeah. cool um let's talk about a bit of a weird character that's been thrown in there mm. which is amelia ducat or, oh gosh yes or amelia her, yeah duckett as um as she's duckett. Called. Yeah. is that duquet duquet <laughs> yes played by sylvia coleridge who's a mm. who's a, a a British actress who's been in millions of things um, yeah. over the years. Um, and yeah, Blake Seven, dude, she was in there yes, for a bit, wasn't she? She was, yeah. Um, a bit of a weird character, absolutely likable and lovable character, but you just think, what is the point? Because the only point I can see is that she was sent back to the house to be paid for the painting that she did for Chase <laughs> that he didn't pay her for. Yeah. Um, but that's really just a bit of a plot device so that she can report back that the Doctor and Sarah have been captured in the house. Definitely. So yeah. a bit of a weird one. But there's this weird scene when completely superfluous, not not benefiting the story at all one bit, where she's in Thackeray's office and she's just sitting there chain smoking away while he's yeah. trying to be on the phone to to sort something out and she's waffling on about how oh, i used to be in in you know in, involved in the war and all this stuff and you think <laughs> this, she on she's about? a lovable character and then you yeah. can tell that the way that the actors uh, the character has been written that he's got the ump with it and all because he doesn't know what she's banging on about he's like rolling his eyes getting off yeah. on, get somebody get her out of here yeah. so he sort of stands up and be like right 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 you must be off now you must be tired get some sleep and she's like no, I'm I'm fine. I'm not sleeping. He's like, for God's sake. As he's trying to usher her out the door and he shuts the door. And then to rub salt in the wound, the camera lingers on his face and he rolls his eyes back and he's like, what a bloody nightmare she is. So <laughs> yeah. what do you think to that character then? Because the story could have done perfectly fine without that character in it. Completely. Yeah, oh no, it, but, could, it you know. could have done. She's a plot device. But <laughs> I, I love it because there's something about the Fourth Doctor era when it brings in these crazy old biddies, uh, you know, like Professor Rumford in Stones of Blood, for example, another one. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, this um, Duquet or Duckett, whatever, however you want to say, she, I'm glad she's in it. You're right, you didn't need her in it, but I'm glad she's in it because um, 
you know, it brings a bit of fun to it. And I just, there's something about mad old grannies being brought into Tom Baker's era that I love because I just feel like they probably had the best. They're always eccentric. And I just imagine they had the best time on set with Tom. I bet he loved them. And uh, she does. She drives the other guy mad on the door, doesn't she? When the when he's ringing Chase to say, oh, duck it, she here for our money and all that. And he's like, oh, get rid of her and all this sort of thing. <laughs> so it, bring, it brings a bit of fun, I think, um, to the episode because, do you know, it's weird. It's a dark story, this, right? It, the whole story is pretty dark in tone, but it does have some brilliantly fun moments and some really fun dialogue as well thrown into the every now and again there'll be a great line like you said from tom when he's like waffle and all this sort of stuff it it's got a great mix of of dark humor throughout it um even though it's a really dark story so i think for that she definitely deserves to be in it yeah definitely man absolutely yeah. and uh, it was tom baker that suggested that she appear in the story is it yeah so if you've um if you've ever watched the dvd commentary for the robots of death. Yeah. Tom says that he saw her in something and thought she was absolutely brilliant. And so he said to, um, he said to one of the guys that was helping out Graham Williams, he said, if you ever cast in a, you know, a, a nutty old <laughs> uh, female character, then uh, you should have a word with Sylvia Coleridge. So she agreed, uh. you know, to come in, but she does fit the yardstick of approval. She was in Zed cars. So it's all good. You you aspect. should see her in Blake Seven, mate. You'd crack you up at which she's doing like a, <laughs> a uh, she's doing like a cabaret performance. So she's like this galactic. I think it's supposed to be referencing cabaret. You know the oh life is a cabaret. She's like <laughs> doing this accent in this oh sort of very tight bodysuit with uh it's it's bizarre but you, you should see it oh, she's like is. welcome to the <laughs> welcome to the stage or whatever and it's like whoa mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah she's good but yes i love her in this she's just crazy <laughs> she is good yeah. smoke it's ch- changed smoking away yeah she's just a crazy old anyway she's cool <laughs> um very two uh, quickly two characters that were, were kind of cool uh, so Sir Colin Thackeray, he's the dude that, you know, is kind of managing the, the what's going on. And uh, uh, he's sort of in cahoots with units and, you know, is you know, oh, him, coordinating yeah, yeah. that stuff. Oh, he's yeah. the one that ushers out um, Duque uh, from, from his office and stuff. And then you also had uh, Richard Dunbar. He's the guy that's teamed up with Chase towards the beginning. You know, mm. and there's a lot of money involved again on the table. Yeah, um, but then sort of comes to his senses and tries to, you know, stop what's going on with the crinoid. But ultimately, gets killed when he trips over. <laughs> you know, he's fired <laughs> off a few shots and uh, mm. and trips over and then gets eaten by the crinoid and stuff. So those two guys, you know, fairly standard old BBC British, um, as you'd expect from those characters. But you know, kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to say they're both good. I like the fact that um, that he decides that you know he realizes things have gone too far at that point, doesn't he? And he tries to mend mend it mend his ways but and ultimately ends up being crinoid <laughs> yes yeah crinoid yeah. food yeah crinoid food oh yeah go on. yeah so yeah no go on. i was just gonna say talking to crinoid food i've just remembered that poor unit guy that gets put in the crusher oh that's yeah. so harsh no one saves him nope. we just see him going into the crusher never seen again Sergeant that, i mean what did he do to deserve that yeah because he was crusher cool. food because he's um he meets the doctor at the house and those two team up for a bit yeah. And they save Sarah Jane and, and uh, Scorby. And then, alas, he's he's in the crusher. He's crinoid food. I just kept yeah. thinking, oh, someone will save him. He, he doesn't make it out of the crusher alive. Yeah. 
Poor guy. Poor guy. Yep. Okay. Elizabeth Sladen. We've hardly spoken about Sarah Jane. Well, we haven't, have we? Just yet. Now, my thoughts on Sarah Jane in this story are, Mm. I think she's very very good as usual but i do wish that she was written to do to have a little bit more to do because really she's just following the doctor around for the most part Mm. there is one scene though which i think a lot of people sort of punch the air when she really gets going there's a bit where um somebody comes in oh who's the butler is it hargreaves the butler to chase such a butler yeah he comes in and (laughs) says to scorby uh, all the guards have disappeared. They've scarpered, probably because they're scared of, you know, the crinoid, obviously. And Scorby's like, oh, a bunch of women they're acting like. And Sarah Jane's face, you, you can tell that. As fired her up. Even though it's been written for the character, you can tell that Liz Sladen's like, not, not on my watch, sunshine. Mm. And then she gets the hump, basically says that some dude's been, you know, has, has gone out into the thing and he's, you know, she wants to rescue him. And, uh, and Scorby's like, what, what are you doing that for? You know, they wouldn't go after you or something like that. And then she turns around and she says, what did you say about women? Yeah. <laughs> Shouts in his face and then walks yeah. out. I love that scene, dude, because yeah. we could spend a whole other podcast episode talking about, um, you know, the, the classic TV and how they handle gender and that kind of mm. thing. But you can tell that this one was right on the nose completely you know it wasn't one of those blink and you miss it things it was a real deliberate women are weak men are strong moment and she doesn't have it she's like you know so she's the one that leads the charge to go and to go and rescue the guy out in the garden so um Mm. but otherwise she was had a couple of good scenes and you know she has a few cool conversations especially with scorby Mm. um but not much else to do in terms of you know she saves the doctor from the crusher but otherwise not much to do, but still very cool. Yeah. Yes, yes, I totally agree. I mean, a, you know, a, a good performance, but you're right. She she isn't given that much to do, considering it's a six-part story. Um, but there is, a, yeah, there's a great stand-up moment when Scorb is trying to intimidate her. I think it's just before that scene you mentioned, actually, where she really stands her ground, and he just realises in that moment that she she's not going to be intimidated by him. Because you know. he shoves her as well, doesn't he? he pushes yeah, he her shoves her, and I think at one point he's sort yeah. of contemplating hitting her, and he just sees in her face that this is not going to wash. You know, the, you know that 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 uh, power that he thinks he's got over her is over. You know, they yeah. need to work together, or or he can stay there and die. And he realises that she's not going to be intimidated by him. So that's a good good moment for her, and also the bit you just mentioned where she totally takes charge. Uh, but I would agree, it, yeah, for a lot of the story, she's either creeping around or discovering, like, horrific, you know, plant life things, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. or or basically following the Doctor. So, yes, I would agree with that. But, yes. this, you know, what she does get to, to do, she's still obviously very good, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can't, before we get on to Tom, I know we've spoken about him, but just one final thing mm-hmm. on him. Before we get on to him, we can't remember, we can't remember, this is, Talking about the geek's handbag now, which is you, isn't it? <laughs> Don't forget to remember. Yes, we can't forget about Charles Winslet and Derek Mobley in the Antarctic base because those first two mm. episodes they do feel kind of isolated, like you said. Yeah. Before we get onto the seri- uh, the story proper, if you want to describe it as that, but those guys were really good. So when the Doctor and Sarah turn up, and then Scorby and stuff, and Keela, mm. um, those those guys are actually really good. So they don't have anything to do, obviously, past those first two episodes, but. Um, I really like those guys, and then obviously the 
um the uh the botanist guy as well you know who's um he uh is trying to figure out what's going on with the pod and it's the first time in the story where you thought something alien was going on because he kind of mm. gets hypnotized by the pod a little bit and they have to snap him out of it and stuff so those that trio of guys in the first two eps were very good yeah they they are good mate and i I always sound surprised when I say that because I think because they are just part of that little unit and they don't particularly get any big lines or big moments or whatever, but they they just give a very good performance. You know, they're not hammy, they're not uh, chewing the scenery, they're not sort of theatrical, like sometimes a lot of, you know, actors in Doctor Who that got parts like this were. Um, they're just playing it dead straight. And I think I love that little arctic unit you know i kind of feel like they're believable like they look very concerned when when uh matey starts to transform into the crinoid you know there's a lot of care you almost feel like those guys you know have been there all that time and care about each other so that, that yeah they are good they're a good little unit those guys considering they're only in the first sort of two apps they they really sort of um work well with what they're given they do indeed. It's a good cliffhangers as yeah. well, isn't it? When you get the the thing blow the time bomb and the crinoid bursting through. I really love those first two episodes. And when I think of this story, I often feel like everything I remember is from series three onwards. I always think of the latter four episodes. But watching this last night, I just realised how good those first two episodes are. They're not they're not filler or or build up. They're actually two very good, you know, exciting episodes. There's a lot going on. In those first two episodes there is yeah for sure yeah. um and actually before we um before we get on to um tom mm. uh we haven't mentioned keela yet um so Keela so Keela's <laughs> plays this uh this very very cool um kind of Quite jittery nervous, nervous yeah uh, sort of guy that's there with scorby to um to get the pod and all the rest of it and it's a bit of a tragic story for him really because he's yeah. the one that ends up being the giant crinoid that gets <laughs> blown to bits <laughs> um uh you know at the end of the story so a tragic one for him because he's not an unlikable dude and you can see that for the most part he he wants to do the right thing but he's being pulled in two directions he's got scorby that's on his case and basically threatening him saying you know if you don't yeah. do what you're told you know it's curtains for you as well but then yeah. he's all he can also see what's going on he can see that chase is nuts he can see that this is not going to end well but ultimately ends up being crinoid Duh. um mm-hmm. but uh yeah and if uh, you're a star wars fan you'll know that um the actor that played uh Keela, what's his name mark mark jones he had a very small part in the empire strikes back he plays captain nimit yeah. The Empire Strikes Back he has a couple of lines. Didn't know that. Um, yeah. So but yeah. I like Keeler. He's, he's a good counterbalance to Scorby, isn't he? Scorby's like obviously running the show and the big trying to sort of be the big I am and Keeler's just this nervous wreck that somehow got involved with him and is too scared to stand up to him and really just wants a peaceful life and probably yeah. would love to leave all this life of crime behind if he could get out of it so he, yeah again it's a nice little rounded character good performance from him as well and um, it's weird isn't it because when when you think about it the fact that he goes from that nervous little chap <laughs> to being the crinoid monster at the end you don't see that coming at all so I think that again is, is a good contrast Yes, yep. And uh, was he in Zed Cars? Yes, he was. Yes! Uh, Tick that box. Yeah, he's all good. Okay, (laughs) lastly then, Mr. Baker. Tom. Mr. Tom Baker. We've spoken about him already, so just to summarise, really, just absolutely... I was going to say a swear word then. 
I'm going to say a bleep. Not on this family bleep. podcast. Yes. <laughs> just absolutely great to watch in this story as the Doctor just has all the stuff that um, that you that you want out of a good Tom Baker classic story as the Doctor. Yeah. So shouty, funny, um, caring, you know. And uh, one of the things that is cool about this story, the way it was written from the Doctor's point of view, is that you can see that there's no hope even at the beginning. So when the Doctor realises that, ah, this is the crinoid who he knows about already, you can tell that there's no rescue attempt, there's no negotiations with the crinoids, there's nothing like that. He knows full well right from the outstart, right from the get-go, that the crinoids are going to destroy all life on Earth. That's it. So yeah. he knows, and he's, although he's got a plan to, for the most part <laughs> up his sleeve, he knows that the only way to save this is to destroy the crinoids. That's it. Because the Doctor's been written right from the beginning, as we know, that death is not the initial route you take. It's always... There's either room for both species on the planet if you're trying to take it over or I can find you somewhere or we can have peace, whatever. In this one, he's like, the crinoids are going to destroy everything. So our only hope. And the way that Tom Baker plays that from the outset, he's got this very thinky thing where people are talking at him rather than with him. Mm. And, you know, so just fantastic, dude, as, as the Doctor in this. All cylinders, very much yes. firing. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's peak Tom, I think, this. Mm -hmm. It's, like you said, just firing on all cylinders, taking it really seriously, just doing the shouty stuff well, doing the humour well, just so engaging to watch every minute that he's on screen. Um, yeah, it's peak Tom Baker, mate. Um, and it's the Doctor, to me, feels so different, really, to what we get later on in this story. He's, as I said, it's probably the most action-violent version of the Fourth Doctor we get, I think. You know, he's a bit, almost a bit pertwee-ish, isn't he? Getting yeah. stuck in and throwing people across the room. And we don't see the fourth Doctor do that that much. He's normally, you know, he doesn't use his fists as much as he does in this story. You know, like punching that guy in the sandpit and all that sort of thing. There's definitely a different side to the Doctor and it's quite a, it adds an element, an edge to the fourth Doctor that we don't see as much later on, I think. So, yeah, it's peaked on for me. Great performance from him. Yeah, true. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, very cool. Um, okay, um, what, um, what a wonderful few hours to spend watching Classic here. If anyone's doing a, a classic watch-through, if you're going through a marathon at any point, mm -hmm. these two stories are just brilliant. So, The Brain of Morbius and then The Seeds yes. of Doom. Just two... Uh. This era, mate, Brilliant needs to stars. be on Blu-ray. Yeah, needs definitely. to be the next set. I love this season. Yeah. Um, just lastly on my notes, um, just one quick thing. Um, you can tell that the the external prop for the TARDIS was buggered by this point. So this yeah. is this is known as the um, the Brakaki um, Doctor Who prop. So um, uh, what's his name? This is not his proper real English name, but Peter Brakaki, who was from Poland, who basically built the first prop from an unearthly child. And mm. they had used it on and off up until this point. And at this Can point... Can you believe it? They yeah, were still using it. <laughs> just nuts. So at this point, they basically said, look, we've just had this thing collapse on top of Tom Baker and Liz Sladen. We've got to throw it in the bin now and do a, build a new one. So <laughs> it did its time. Bless it. It's... Uh, it served its purpose, but um, yeah, just a, a fitting farewell on such a great story to just bin off the original TARDIS prop and 
and then build a new one. So, because it did yeah. actually collapse on Liz Sladen, didn't it? The roof. It's it did, the last. Yeah. It's the very last scene when mm-hmm. they're laughing, when they arrive thinking they're going to be on a beach, and they step out of it with a beach ball. <laughs> it, the, the prior to filming that, it had, it, the roof had just fallen in on um, Liz Sladen, and uh, and uh, yes, I think banged her on the head. So they probably decided it was time. Finally, yeah. can you believe it? took him that long to think yeah we probably should spruce this prop up i mean it looks battered to hell anyway doesn't it It (laughs) the paint it's obviously been repainted a hundred times because you can see different blues coming through where the paint's peeled off and it it, yeah it looks battered to hell um but that is such a lovely end scene isn't it and the the laughter is i almost feel like it's an outtake yeah because the laughter's so genuine i'm sure that's just them laughing. Mm-hmm. I, I almost slip out of character for a second there, I think, and I guess they just felt like it's the end of the season. You know, let's leave it on that. That's that's a lovely end scene. Yeah, but no, uh, cool. but is it the Tom and Liz or is it the Doctor and, I and always, Sarah? Yeah, I always I thought it was Tom and Liz. It's Tom laughing, and Liz laughing. Yeah. It's a beautiful <laughs> end scene. But it's just weird to think that, uh, yeah, the TARDIS prop had collapsed about five minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is there anything on your notes, buddy, before we score this? That was actually my last note. Tardis, oh, cool. Tardis prop collapses. Liz laughs. <laughs> that's what I put. Um, yeah. So that's that's yeah, pretty much it. I think. Whose turn is it to go first? I cannot remember. No, I can't remember. remember. Um, I'll go first. You go first. I'll give mate. this a nine out of ten, buddy. It's a it's a high score for me because it's just so enjoyable, mate. It's um, I don't even know what I'm taking a mark off for. Probably just because some of the 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 wobbly crinoidy bits um and uh and uh the the duquet woman character who's just completely lovable and all good Mm. but you know a bit of a distraction from the story when you know so it's it's not perfect no story is well very rare are they perfect but Mm. what a a great story dude i loved it nine out of ten for me what about you yes i'll go over nine out of ten as well mate i've always rated it really highly i think i once said it was my all-time favourite classic. Um, it's definitely up there, uh, along with like Terror of the Zygons, which I, ironically was written by the same writer, Bob Banks-Stewart. Uh, so, um, yes, it's a 9 out of 10, mate. It's as near to perfect classic Who as I think you can get. Um, if, I, I mean, I'm only really, like you, taking a point off because of the, the wobbly crinoid uh, that we get at the end of the cliffhanger, which is a shame because we get great cliffhangers in this episode and it's it, as i said it's the one thing that lets it down but it's only because the rest of the story is so good that it even stands out because normally that wouldn't even mm-hmm. bat an eyelid in classic who that'd just be part of the run of the mill so yeah mm-hmm. it's a great story mate nine out of ten nines all round uh okie dokie what did our listeners think so over on twitter we had will sanger who said a real cracker of a story the crinoid is a brilliantly horrifying concept that's very well executed and developed and Mr. Harrison Chase proves to be a very formidable human threat. It's one of the best stories for Sarah Jane, and the six-part runtime is well-structured. Chippy mm. T, a credible villain, unlike a lot of the 70s villains. Lovely use of settings in the pole and the country home and great set-piece threats from the humans and creatures. A bit too long for one long watch, but today um, it would have been perfect uh, in the 70s. Great performances all around 8.5. Cool. Um... Owen, Doctor Who Home says, Doctor Who firing on all cylinders. Doctor, companion, monster, villain locations, direction, all 10 out of 10. Everything is just falling into place at this point. Adore the story. 10 out of 10. Cool. Uh, Tom Turlow, one of the best of all time. The definitive classic mm. Doctor, the definitive classic companion, a great villain, a creepy monster. Some of the violence is a bit misjudged. 
The doctor mm-hmm. should never carry a gun or and break someone's neck, but it's truly fabulous. This was <laughs> such a rich period in the show's history. With Tom at his absolute peak, amidst a run of classics, this one more than holds its hand up, so to speak. So nine out of ten. Number nine. Edward Gillooly, a little bit too long, but entertaining with a bonkers villain. Seven out of ten. And okay. lastly on Twitter, Lucy McCall says, I like it a lot. There is a real edge to the opening episodes, which does disappear a bit, but the threat uh, feels real. John Chalice is an excellent henchman and is really convincingly nasty. And the quarter massy effect on the crinoid taking over people's bodies is grim. Mm. Uh, there is light relief with the fabulous Miss Duquet and Chase's historical ranting, but it still has moments of real threat. Cool. Thank you very much, Twitter people. Over on Facebook, Jeff Waddle. Hey, Jeff. Jeff. Says a six-parter where they avoid the usual problem of it being bloated by having it be a two-part story followed by a four-part one. Mm. Uh, and it seldom works better than here. Tom and Liz at their peak, full-on body horror, some terrifying images, a camp nasty off-his-nut villain, a nasty yeah. henchman. Not a minute of this story is wasted. Easily in my top five of all who, 10 out of 10. Sweet. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Jeff. Toby Coleman, this is a rare six-parter that doesn't feel stretched out. I think... The two and four approach went well and gave an impression of what the crinoid could do before you've fully grown, before fully grown, and you get to see it. My only real issue um, was the fact the green was the screen went wavy every time somebody fired a gun. That's yeah, I mean that yeah, happens a lot yeah. during this television in this day. Yeah, he said the cast were brilliant, though, a lot of fun, a nine out of ten. Uh, Martin Arnold, welcome back, Martin. Hard times for Trig, working for an insane gardener. Hard times for Trig. Uh, who likes to play I think he means um, Boise Boise. yeah (laughs) Yeah. he likes to play his broccoli symphonies meanwhile space veg turn men into living avocados and it's surprisingly not so cold (laughs) in the Arctic Uh, what a belter though not much else to really add to this I definitely give this nine crinoid smoothies out of (laughs) ten loses a point though because it really should have had the old unit team Uh, there must have been a reason for it I think um, Nick Cordy was in a play or something at the time he couldn't film yeah Uh, they should have been at one last time and I'm off to tend to my cabbage patch (laughs) cheers Martin Charlie Turner says I never thought a story about a man eating plants would be such an entertaining one let alone my Mm. top five of Tom Baker's just barely so 10 out of 10 10 also rest in peace John Chalice yeah he passed away quite recently, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, not that long ago, yeah. Yeah, as usual, short and sweet from Gordon Hudson. He says, still have nightmares about turning into a cactus. There <laughs> Are you go. thinking of Megloss? Megloss, yeah. Oh, yeah, Megloss. <laughs> uh, Andrew Fletcher says, series 13, peak classic who? So many bangers. Love the way this was split with the first two eps in the Arctic and the, the other back home. Tom and Liz were on fire, supporting great cast, especially Boise and Chase. Thought the effects, explosions and models still look good now. Reminds me yeah. I must cut back the ivy uh, before <laughs> spring. A 10 out of 10. A 10. And lastly, Peter Falkus says, everything in season 13 is a winner. Remember it on the first transmission all those years ago. So something that leaves a memory like that must be special. An 11 out of 10. Wow. Wowzers indeed. Well, I think on average, dude, this is a nine. Easy. High scores all round, isn't all it, for round, this one? Mate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, as expected, some high scores from you guys. So, thank you so much for getting in contact, getting in touch and giving us your thoughts uh, for the Seeds of Doom. So, next mm. week, bud, we're carrying on with Classic Who, obviously. What we got? Yeah, so we'll be drifting back to another six-parter. It is six, isn't it? Or is it seven? It's I can't six. remember. Yep. It's six. Uh, it's the third Doctor story, and it is Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Let's see what the let's see if the production values 
are as good in this six-parter. But yes, Invasion of the Dinosaurs next week, Third Doctor. Yeah, so we're carrying on with Liz Slade, and obviously this is another Sarah Jane story. But for the yeah. complaints of Unit not being in the Seeds of Doom, we will get to see them all in uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. So, um, Indeed. Yeah, some Third Doctor action next week. And uh, I think we'll wrap there, bud, for episode 372. Alrighty. Thank you, thank you so much for checking out episode 372. It's great to have you here listening. As always, that was the Seeds of Doom review and nines all round and an average nine from our listeners and uh, social followers so thank you very much for that next week as Adam said it's the Pertwee Third Doctor story Invasion of the Dinosaurs so get your DVDs yes. out or Britbox fired up and get that watched as we'll be asking for your thoughts and views as always in the meantime make sure you are following or subscribing to this podcast in wherever you get your podcasts so you won't miss an episode when it lands every single Friday and you can listen for free on the website, which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. And along with the episodes on there, you can also read all the reviews and articles from our amazing writing team. So tons of Doctor Who to dive into over on the website. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook links on the website. We chat Doctor Who throughout the week. So come and get involved over there. And we have a very cool free Discord server. Very cool bunch of um, Who fans there. We've built a really nice... Uh, very cool community of Who fans over on the Discord server. So come and get involved there as well. Also, don't forget to remember to come <laughs> and check out my co-host channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, yes. Go and check out my YouTube channel. I've just uploaded a new video unboxing a fourth Doctor vinyl of all really things. Good. So go and check that out. And yeah, also on the socials, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Go and stalk him and check out all of his stuff on YouTube. Some great stuff there. Grab a drink and get comfy. So the Geek's Handbag over on YouTube. Indeed. Until next week for 373, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Uh...